0: Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome. This is Carl's World Coaster Podcast. Hello, 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 everybody. How's everyone doing? I hope you're all feeling beautiful, feeling great, that life is treating you all super duper well. Today, I have Hi, Den this great guy that I met last year during uh, an European tour I was doing. He is a senior production manager and extremely experienced uh, music uh, professional, you know. guy that has played in bands, worked as a sound guy and toured the world. Worked for Mojo Concerts, which is Live Nation Holland, uh, for almost 10 years as an artist, rap and production manager. Countless tours, Touring System of a Down, Within Temptation, Muse Stadium Tour, you know, the guy has been around. And he comes from a very, from very troubling uh, beginnings, with a troubled family, and he had to find his way into this world. So it's a, it's a proof that people can strive through difficult times, through difficulty, even if that's when on your formation ears, basically. It's a very inspirational conversation. Um, talked about... Early stages of his life and all the way up till nowadays, touring with Muse, like I just mentioned, Metallica, and being a runner and eventually becoming a running coach. So, with you all, my friend, Hayo worked. Enjoy. All right. Hello, Hayo. How are you, my friend?
1: I'm good, Carl. How are you?
0: I'm very well. I'm very well. It's been a That's while good. since, since yeah. you last talked, hasn't it? Mm hmm. Last November yep. it w- well, we've been exchanging messages and things like that, but we met during last year's uh within Temptation European Tour. We worked Correct. closely Correct. to each yep. other. And and then just basically checking um your career profile. Uh it says System of a Down tour two thousand seventeen and we did a couple of shows um with System of a Down on that particular yes. tour. Um, but we definitely got more involved uh, when we did an entire European tour last year. So it's a pleasure to have you on on the roller coaster. Thanks for for giving us the time.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: hi, uh, I'm quite interested in in knowing because obviously we working on the you know this uh, very tough industry, which is the musical industry, and mm-hmm. an ever changing industry, continually changing uh, drastically from day to day um if you could tell me how how was your upbringing in Holland where where, where did you grow up and uh, how did you eventually started uh, playing in bands because you you're a musician as well right
1: hmm yeah I started early um well uh, my early upbringing was... Um, I, I recall it as being quite easy but uh, effectively I am from a broken family my father was a minister and I think his is the, the, our our family I'm the youngest there's three older sisters but it started falling apart when I was about eight or nine years old uh, uh, constant fights etc it's and uh, I think there were there was a there was a point that my parents should have uh, separated, and they they didn't decide until much later. They they eventually um, separated when I was fifteen. So, but by that time, uh, um, there wasn't much there wasn't much of a comfortable home situation anymore. So. I, I, as much as as uh, as my sisters uh, were used to uh, seeking that uh, elsewhere, so that's it's it's in a nutshell. But uh, that uh, um, that brought me to, I think, part uh, that. That's partial uh that partially brought me to to start playing in bands. I started learning guitar, getting guitar lessons i think when uh when I was eleven or twelve at some point i I remember that that memory might be wrong but but it's a good story anyway my my guitar teacher at some point told me not directly I think but that that uh it wasn't you know I wasn't gonna be the greatest guitar player ever. So I decided to pick up the bass because I figured that would be easier. It's only four strings instead of six. And then most bass players I saw playing would only touch one string at a time also. <laughs> and um, uh, so that's, when, uh, that's how I wound up. Uh, one of my friends wanted to start a band. And uh, of, obviously 1980, 1981, uh, punk rock band. We just started a punk band and it all, it all came, it all went from there. Pretty much all went from there.
0: Amazing and then obviously at this time you you, you were attending school I presume?
1: Yes, there was the tricky combination because uh, no, we, we were, I, I think I did my for, first gig with that band when I was still 14 so I was still going to school which is a uh, which is a weird combination because school being quite a conformist Obviously, quite a conformist uh, environment, and we were playing this punk band and being against everything. And I was hanging with friends in squats everywhere, etc. So it was, uh, uh, it was, and and all through my my whole school career, that has been that has been uh, weird and confusing somewhat because I tried to, you know, especially in the beginning, I tried to. Uh, still be a decent student, but on the other hand, I, I don't really fit in that uh, system either.
0: Mm-hmm. And at what, 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 what? How old were you when when your parents uh, split it up?
1: When they finally decided, uh, or they, they, when they finally realized that there was no point left at all to stay together, uh, I was fifteen. Maybe I was just sixteen. And so my father moved out. We had this big house. I, I grew up in Leiden, which is which is a, one of the university cities in Holland on the on the west on the west coast on the coast. And so my father moved out. and um, from the moment he moved out, uh, I haven't seen I, I, I've never haven't seen him much anymore since he died a year later. He died when I was seventeen. All of a sudden, uh, and it was for me. It was at the point that I was prepared to uh, uh, to getting to to having uh, to getting back in contact with him again. Because when he moved out, I decided, okay, it's you know um, uh, as much as I you know as it's as it's a reasonable decision when you're 16, but. Um, it was a decision, or it worked out like that, that we just did. We did just didn't talk, and at some point, I was at, um, I de- decided that I wanted to have some talks with him. I wanted to to share some information and maybe maintain that uh, some sort of healthy father son relationship. And that's when he died. So um, I was um, a bit too late on that, or rather, he was too early. Mm
0: and uh well for a 16 17 year old um this this all sounds uh extremely complicated to deal internally and uh i obviously can 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 relate to it at all because i i I didn't have uh, an experience similar to that but how did you deal with it at a time internally and psychologically and did those events um Obviously there must have been an impact on your life, a, a massive impact on your life. But how did you respond to it? What was your response? Because some people tend to um, when depending on the kind of support they have or the kind of support that they don't have, they tend to go down uh, not very good uh, routes on their lives, you know but somehow you, you it doesn't seem to be that case. So, how did you deal with it at the time, and how did you manage to to carry on and 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 eventually finish school and uh, and move on from starting from playing in bands to 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 eventually becoming a sound guy and getting into well, eventually the future work that you did.
1: Well, um, already when my parents were still together and we had some sort of a family life, albeit it was all, you know, it was all broken up and fucked up. And, uh, uh, I decided at some point in one of the darker, uh, days, so to speak, whenever we were, were big arguments, that whatever would happen, it would not, it would just not be bring me down. You know, I was, I was pretty adamant on surviving and, uh, I kept that up. Um, although after my father died, uh, he when when he died, or, or one of the reasons my, my, that our family fell apart was because he was an alcoholic. Um, and I don't think he uh, directly dr- died from drinking, but he had a he, ha- he had heart failure at at the age fifty eight, um, which which in a way is disturbing for me now because I'm I'm sort of I'm getting near that age and. Uh, um, so you know, you, you, it's it's something that's that's sometimes on my mind, not too often though. But uh, at that time, um, I just continued living. I I think I was confused. I just didn't really know. I didn't didn't really know what to feel, what to think. At some point, I started drinking also, uh, more than was good for me. I quit school, um, and uh, I think my mother wasn't much of a you know, she was as much, she was. She was very supportive, supportive in a, in a lot of ways, but she didn't throw in a lot of counterweight when I decided myself that I was quitting school. Um, maybe she realized that it would be useless anyway. I don't know. I I, I never really figured out how she how she lo- how she thought about that period, which was really hard on her, obviously also. Um, uh, but um, yeah, it was it was the drinking, it was playing in bands, it was hang. I mean, I was pretty much hanging with friends all the time, and then in the in the meantime, every now and then I would go to school, I would do gigs in in the in the weekends or or just go to parties or whatever, and uh, that was it. That was just the the stream of life that was going on. In, the interesting thing is. Uh, from from being a kid, I was I was did sports. I did you know I I I did uh, uh, judo. I did athletics. At some point, I started playing basketball. And, and the, the weird thing is, I was even pretty good at it. And uh, when I was, I think when I was turning eighteen, or I was going to uh, 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 let's say that the highest junior level. Uh, there was a coach that wanted to, you know. A, a, apparently, he saw more in my in me. He saw more talent than I did myself. And but I, the, the, consequently, I had to make the choice between the life I was living with playing men's etc. or being in a higher sports team where I would have to be training three or four times a week and and have a game every weekend. And I, um, well, that's pretty much where I quit that. <laughs> And uh, uh, I stopped. I stopped doing any kind of, of uh, sports or physical exercise for a lot of years.
0: So back then you were not, because you were a runner as well. And have you at uh, back back then were you running already, or is it, or did running enter your life on the later stage of your life?
1: The running, as I do it now, entered much later, much much later.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. We will definitely <coughs> talk more about that then later mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Um, so, are you the, 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 uh, with all of this uh, confusion, uh, conf- conf- a very complicated period uh, happening on for for any teenager, and on this particular case, uh, you yourself? Did your family, or were you, are you a spiritual guy? Do you had, do you have, or had any beliefs? Do you were you like? Somehow, I don't know, trying as well, like you said, you're just like navigating through those emotions and trying to find your place in the world as any 15, 16 year old would do. But then with a lot of more pressure than than the usual, I would say. Did you have or do you have any kind of like higher uh, uh, connection? Do you believe on on spirituality or or religion or anything like that? Well,
1: there's 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 uh, there's. All sorts, no, 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 there's all sorts of rabbits jumping out of the head. Because um, uh, circling back to my father, my father was a minister in the Dutch Reformed Church. So I inherited some of that. Because when I was younger, when I was like nine or ten years old, I used to go with him to church when he would, when he would preach. Uh, so I would join him for that every, I, I guess, every couple of weeks. Uh, I've seen him preach many times. And as much as, as I have, uh, um, I've never been, uh, I, I never considered myself, not even when I was a kid, as uh, I never really believed in God in the, let's say, in the Christian sense. Um, when I I think when I was uh, when I was around 17 when all this when all this happened when I was 17 18, I just you know I pretty much uh, didn't know what to think or what to what to feel or what to believe. I ran away from from a lot of things in uh, in. Uh, in some way, so you know, I I just drowned myself in in doing the stuff I liked and the stuff I enjoyed. Uh, Meanwhile, I would still, uh, there would still be, uh, I think there was, there was, uh, I had always some sense of support, I don't know where from, but um, something helped me to stay on my feet.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have nowadays any any sort of uh spiritual practice do you uh any anything that you would uh in your own terms um say that that's kind of like some sort of uh higher power that you that you believe something that you kind of try and and be connected with
1: um yeah, I guess there is, but it's on a it's 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 a, on a very abstract level. <coughs> um, I find it one of it's for instance. I find I find it in the running. Uh, I think this is something you can, you will you will be able to relate to. But but the actual running uh, does give you strength, and it, it and, and and I don't mean physical. I mean, uh, mental and and even emotional strength. Uh, going on long runs gives me the opportunity to not only uh, think about things that uh, that needs to be thought over. I never I never go out running with an idea that I have to think about something and that the running will help me. It's more that that going out there uh, opens up. Uh, or may open up it doesn't always happen uh, it may open up a stream of thoughts of, of consciousness that's that's worthwhile or that's uh, so that's far enough under the or up on the surface to to be addressed and sometimes stuff comes up that's that's way deeper and uh, on the other hand I do think that the elders are uh, or the ancestors or whoever ever roamed the world is still are still around in in a certain way i i i mean i'm not i'm not a big on uh, uh, uh reincarnation or, or whatever but but i can't get my head around uh, i can't really um uh, reconcile myself the idea that life at some point is ends and really ends and
2: mm-hmm.
1: so um as i say it's reincarnation is is on a, I think on a, on a really abstract or on a, on a really really spiritual level mm-hmm. is something that maybe uh that that is likely happening and uh what the spirits what is <coughs> what the spirits or what uh yeah as i say the elders do with it or that their position in it may is is likely much more subtle or much more in the background so to speak than uh, you you would think or sometimes even you would hope
0: yeah i i i I, it's a such a complicated subject this one of reincarnation and spirituality because um if we think rationally about things um and just take science and biology for instance uh-huh. it's very it's not easy but it's quite uh it, it, it's a, it's a it's a it's a way of understanding well where did we come from and how we evolved because we literally just evolved from one cell to another cell to become uh things and eventually homo sapiens and eventually have the society that we have nowadays um but then that's that's one way of seeing things but when you when you talk about your own self and this constant voice that we have in our minds when you talk and discuss about the ego and you know and the frustrations and the and the successes that we have in life and how those things play out in our character in how we conduct our lives uh Mm -hmm. be that as you know on on the professional side of things or on the personal side of things it's um when the, the feelings that you have experiences even so like that people do have and i most certainly can 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 attest that i've had Countless uh, experiences on my life that put everything into question, you know, and and, yep. and made me question. And I think it's important to, obviously, always question everything, especially living in the world yes. that we live and 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 how we've been brought up, because we are brought up uh, in a family in 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 whatever situation that might be. And um, we don't question things. All of a sudden, you just go into school. You go to university. You get a job, and you get a, you make a, you raise a family. You meet a person. You get married. You have kids, yep. Yep. And, and 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 that's just what everybody does. But then, what is right and what's wrong, and and why yep. is right and why is wrong? and where did things become things you know when did things become things you know when did we start how how the value that we give to things how we perceive things how we see things it's so complicated when you put all of that Mm -hmm. on the table you you you, it's inevitable to do to just uh, start considering other things you know and uh, i most certainly do consider a a, a hell a lot of other things than just what my eyes can see and my ears can here, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but w- you you gently tapped into the effects of of running, you know, and, mm. and I absolutely uh, agree with you. For me, running is uh, uh, just like today. I went for like. I think that when you actually training really hard, it's actually very very difficult to actually think about anything else, which is good as well, because mm-hmm. you're so present on the moment. Um, that your brain kind—it's of, refreshing for the brain because your brain is not thinking about the future, is not thinking about the past, but literally just focusing on your form and on yeah. that pace that you are uh, at the moment. But sometimes you go for just a jog, which is literally what I yeah. what I did today, and and on those easy runs you do get the time to think things through and it's yeah. so liberating and it makes you feel so much better in the end because it's kind of like self therapy in a way isn't it it is it's uh,
1: it's it's the it's ex- exactly as you say it's the it's the relaxed runs. it's where you where you don't or where uh, where the let's say the uh, where your body if on the hard tra- the heart training moments when your body needs so much energy uh to to do the actual exercise that uh, it's that your your brain and some even some of your body functions are being tapped out but on the on the on the slower runs on the more relaxed runs it's uh, that's way different it's and then and then the the mind uh, the mind opens up and
0: um when did you start running
1: uh higher? It's not that long ago actually. I was thinking about that the other day and I think I started running um, in 2000 and I first started running in 2007 or 2008 and it pretty much started with uh, just go running. I was... um, uh, when, as I said, when I quit playing basketball, I pretty, pretty much quit doing any sports. I think I remember a short uh, run going to the gym in my mid twenties. Uh, and after that, uh, it came down to the point where my, where actually my wife, uh, started to go to the gym again to, uh, to take spinning classes. Well, I, I must say, in the beginning, I I found the idea to to go on what I would call a home trainer in a a gym to go cycling, uh, a bit ludicrous. But at some point, uh, I joined her, and I was addicted after after two times. Mm -hmm. So uh, we did spinning together and separate from each other. But uh, we did spinning for a while, and then at some point, I was like, no, I want to go outside and I want to do something which I can do anywhere at any given time and without needing anything. So, yeah, I got myself a pair of shoes and I started running. And the first time I went out, literally, this is not this is not a story I'm making up. Literally, the first time I I went out running, I went for like a five k run. Uh, an, an untrained an untrained 5K run it may even be mean six or something so I came back and of course i had sore muscles i couldn't i could I could barely walk for three days
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, that was it uh, i've been uh, i think pretty soon after that you know i, I started I started picking it up and and uh, I got injured pretty soon Uh, So that that then I stopped again, and I picked it up about a year later, and ever ever since I've been running.
0: That's great. I mean, it's really ten years. Ten years. It's um uh, yeah. I mean, I myself. I mean, I've I always exercised my entire life, and and running was always part of it. But then, but I think running wasn't exactly what I was doing. I was pretty much just a jogger, you know, that guy that mm-hmm. goes and do 20 minutes, 25, half an hour, 3, maybe on a good week, 4 times a week,
1: mm-hmm. but,
0: but but jogging was always uh, something that was within me, you know, I always really enjoyed yep. it. But then a few years ago, um, I started a running club here in London, the Michela Running Club, mm-hmm. and... And then I just, you know, it, it really entered my life and, and filled, filled a, a gap that I had on my life at the time. And, um, and I just fell in love with it. And the more you do it and the more consistent you are, you see the results. And I think that in life in general is just like that, isn't it? Where the more attention and the more um, energy you put into anything, you start seeing results. And when you start seeing results, it's very True. empowering. Yeah. It's very empowering
1: yeah it's true it's it's um yeah it gives back what you put into it and uh, especially with with something so 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 basic as running uh or as going out there and 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 move
2: Mm -hmm.
1: um, uh, it's uh it's as you say it's empowering it's it's always you see you see the 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 interesting thing is you see the reverse side when you get injured or when you like, I now with, with all the touring I've been doing recently, I haven't been doing an, uh, a lot of running so my form is about at the lowest where it has has been in the last five or six years. So I've got to pick it up again, uh, which is easier uh, than you sometimes think because it, it'll take me a couple runs just to get to, to, uh, just get to get back to my basic level and take it from there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So my speed is awful at the moment, but I'm not too worried about it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That'll come back. And uh, even with you know, I, I'm 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 getting to the point where with the climbing of the years, I'm not going to be any faster anymore. Uh, well, maybe some on the longer distances, but uh, but maintaining uh, maintaining form. And actually, uh, getting to a form that's that's uh, uh, satisfactory is is good enough in that.
0: Hiyo, mm-hmm. how, how so? Uh, tell me a little bit, a uh, little slight change of, of subject now. Going from running back to to, to music again, which is obviously mm-hmm. the the main thing on your life. Um, do you, well, the main professional thing in your life I mean yeah. um, how, how did you enter the the, the well the, the business in, in, in regards of being a sound guy and working as a sound guy and so uh, the, were you self-thought when it comes to sound engineering and eventually yeah. started doing lots of international touring how the, those jobs came your way How if you, if you can remember more or less how those dots connected back then
1: well, it's, it's, and it's, it's, that has been what I've been doing most of my life. I've never really followed a, a career path of any sort. Uh, as you can see, you know, I didn't even finish school. So there wasn't, there wasn't much of a, there wasn't, there wasn't much of a career person in me. And part of that may may have to do uh, may have been caused by uh, being from uh, at some point just being from an unprotected environment, so to speak. But um, uh, I I have always been able to tap into whatever came on my way in a more or less decent way, although I looking back, my motives weren't always, uh, weren't always that positive, you know. Sometimes a choice is not a choice, but it's sometimes a choice is not, is actually not making a choice at all and going with the consequences of not making a choice. Uh, with becoming a sound engineer, it was a bit it's, it was a bit of both. <clears throat> I was playing in bands and it was all, you know, it, as they would call it now, uh, 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 indie music, a bit, bit of punk rock, bit of noise style kind of thing. Uh, and then we, you know, I used to, I, I was in a band that, that we played with quite, uh, you know, we did quite a bit of gigs. and every now and then we would run into this this sound guy that had his own you know his own sort of homemade pa and he would do sound and he was enthusiastic and everything so i figured that actually that side doing sound uh, that appealed to me more than playing bass in a band there's no why it it just appealed to me and so i i started working with him and working for him and that's what my, that were my first steps as a sound guy and then um, later on, a couple of years later, uh, my oldest sister worked at this this big sound company in Holland, um, and through her, I got some gigs with that with that company, and that's how I, you know, where it where it just rolled further. I became a guy that, that went on the road, loading trucks, etc, pushing pushing boxes, and eventually uh, uh, getting behind board also. And uh, that's the rest is history. Well, there's a bit more to it, but that's that's how it started.
0: Um, how how did you f- uh, navigate it from from being a sound engineer to to project management and to, to be a project a production manager? And and what are the main differences that you see? Uh, so two points here. Uh, how did you navigate from uh, being on the road and pushing, uh, being a loader pretty much, and then a sound guy eventually to production manager. And what are the main differences that you see between the production manager job and the tool manager job?
1: Um, that's a lot of questions. Let me go back first. Because I'm
0: sorry, it, I overloaded you.
1: <laughs> no, no, that's okay. But let me go back first to put it in to put to to connect some dots and put some sure. things. Perspective. Nice when nice. I uh, when I started doing sound, one of the underlying uh, one of the underlying themes was that uh, I didn't consider myself uh, a good enough a musician to try and perceive a career as a musician. It wasn't into that scene either. I'm, I mean, I wasn't into a scene where you would make money with music anyway. But it's it, it's sort of it was a combination of. So somehow it, it didn't really cross my mind, but when it did cross my mind, I, I didn't have the confidence to um, to uh, go to, because it came up. It, the question came up at some point, uh, uh, but I didn't consider myself good enough as a musician to try and and uh, go for it. But I did consider myself a decent enough, uh, at that point, a decent enough sound guy to and I I already discovered that I was good enough to make some money of it. So uh, fast forward to the switch to, from, or the, the, it wasn't really a switch, it was more of a soft development from being a sound guy behind the board and to the guy that would uh, just uh, manage the whole, you know, manage a festival or whatever. Um, again, there was a point where I liked the game better than the tools. So I, the dealing with people was was more uh, was more my thing than actually uh, tweaking some knobs. Also, there at the same point, there was this this same underlying theme that I saw these guys around me that were much that I thought were much better uh, sound guys than I was. Um, later on I learned that um, people around me valued me higher than I would value, value myself. But that was part of it. Uh, the other part was that I actually liked the, the whole organizational part, the managing part, uh, uh, dealing with the whole structure of everything. Uh, I I I really did enjoy that. I, I enjoyed um, uh, managing people more than managing speakers. Mm-hmm.
2: So, to speak. so that's and that's and the other
1: thing is, and that's the, that's that's the, that's the other theme that we disc, that 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 I that we discussed a little earlier. I saw the opportunity. Because uh, it, in the in the in the in the mid nineties or the late nineties, um, I had a, had the experience of touring with bands already. I stopped touring with bands because uh, we got kids, and I wanted to be home with my kids. Um, so the international touring was pretty much done by 69, uh Sorry, 96, 1996. and um, and then. At the same time, uh, the position, uh, the position of having some, or or for the, for that sound company, doing gigs that were so big that you would need somebody that would just oversee the whole operation rather than also be either at the board or on the stage or hanging speakers or something, became much more uh, uh, relevant, and there weren't that many people that. Uh, that wanted or had the ambition or were willing to pick up that job. So uh, besides the two two other things about uh, me seeing better sound engineers around me and really liking uh, bossing around people rather than bossing around equipment, um, uh, added to that became the uh, the, the, the observation that the opportunity was actually there. And uh, that there was a demand for it. So that was that that, that pretty much added up uh, for me. And so I beca- I just started managing uh, sound packages. I, you know I would be I would be responsible for a festival like ping pop and uh, all the logistics uh, and and um, technical uh, the planning and planning of people just for the sound company for the festival so I became I pretty much became a project manager I would you know I would show up behind the board every now and then because there would be gigs where somebody else would be the project manager and they would still book me in as a sound guy that that still that, that always has happened until I quit that company. Um, what was the name of the company? It's called Emco. It's these days it's called Emco Flashlight because they merged with a lighting company called Flashlight. Right now it's in, in Holland it's the it's the biggest rental company for sound and lights.
0: Mm-hmm. And this job that you were doing for them at the time uh, was it? H- how was the? Did you have a contract with them? Was it like a zero-hour co- kind of contract? Would would they keep you booking for jobs uh, uh, constantly, or was it? Or were you kind of like, uh, like I said, w- with a contract with them, and then they would just uh, keep shifting you around as demand uh, would take place.
1: Well, I started working for them in '91, 1991, and back then it was as a freelancer. And I worked for them as a freelancer pretty much up to '90. Well, pretty much up to '96, and then they, uh, at that, you know, they were either hiring people as freelancer or putting them, them indeed, on a zero-hour contract. And I think in '96 or '97, it must have been '97 that they gave me a contract contract so I just they just put you put me on the payroll Mm -hmm. for the regular because it would be you know it's it's it law it would be a 40 hour a week job which obviously in this industry is never a 40 hour a week job because it's either an 80 hour a week job or it's a five hour a week job in the slow periods but on average over a year I would do I think I would for over a lot of years I've, I've done like on average, a year, I would go for forty-five, maybe fifty hours a week. Wow! Depending on on, but but that would concentrate on, on uh, specific periods in the year that were really busy and have some some uh, periods in the year that were really slow. But I would still get get up there to uh, a little over forty hours per week if I look, look back. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was fine. They. They gave me a contract. It was it was decent enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a decent enough salary, and um, I had the I had the opportunity, and at some point also the freedom to do what I wanted. I, in a in a way, I got to pick my own work
2: mm-hmm.
1: because the the whole. Uh, yeah, it was just just by the nature that the company was managed at the time. It, by now, it's much more bigger. It's much more formal. They have these planners, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's much more multi-layered, so to speak, in the in the organization. Back then, it was a bit bit more uh, rough. So I mean, I would uh, officially, I could not plan my own people because there would still be a personnel planner. But I would always, uh, I would always uh, build my own teams.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So and then you know I would I would be responsible for the material etc. and then and then, and then plan transport and all crap like that, do all the timings with uh, uh, whoever would hire us with the festival or if it could be a corporate job or whatever, or or a TV a TV show.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I did a lot of work in in uh, uh, let's say in live TV business also, which mm-hmm. is way different again. Everybody's nervous when you go. When you do live TV, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. I mean, we do live shows every day, and it's every show's a deadline. E- e- actually, every band, uh, putting e- any band on stage in time is a deadline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What yeah. you put a camera in, it's everybody stresses out.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah, it <laughs> happens. So, it happens. That, with,
1: yeah. You know, that's that's that was always a nice observation. But um, yeah, it's it starts from there and. And uh, after that, there was a point where, lit- pretty l- literally, my thought was, "Okay, I'm now, you know, I'm now uh, trading apples, or I'm trading bananas, or whatever you want to call it." But you know, I wouldn't mind being responsible for the whole uh, for the whole uh, uh, grocery store.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, so, and I knew that there weren't. That many places in Holland where, where those you know where you would be where where you could be where you could run that store, and uh, while I was in the process of uh, looking around to see if there was a place where I would where I would thought I would fit, and where I could run the uh, where I could run the store, uh, Mojo Mojo Concerts, which is essentially Live Nation Holland uh cold if i would be interested to apply for a job which uh, in my case would be the job of production manager uh, and that was exactly what i th- that was exactly the job i was looking for that was pretty spot on so again i could jump it, it was partially self-created because uh i b- funnily enough later on i heard the story why they why they wanted me and that was that had to do with my with my job as a as a project manager sound engineer for for emco uh and uh, so they they asked me to apply well if a company asks you to apply it's you're in i mean it, there's a there's there's a fair chance that they're actually going to going to hire you and that happened That was 2009 and they hired me and i've been uh, I've been a projection manager or promoter rep, as they sometimes call it also, uh, for them for nine years.
0: Amazing. Are you still with Mojo nowadays, with Live Nation?
1: No, I quit. Ooh. I quit Live Nation last year, October, mm-hmm. right? Pretty much a month or two or, or a month and a half before we met, uh, because uh, I... I'd been being a promo rep for nine years. For me, it was long enough. I uh, knew I knew the, the trick, and I've met a lot of people uh, in the industry. And at some point, again, I uh, my kids grew up, and my kids uh, moved out. When when we met the first time, without being really aware of each other in 2017 on System of a Down. Uh, I, I got on that tour because uh, I was, I wanted to actually, I wanted to start touring again. I hadn't been touring for at that point for uh, well since 96, so for 20 years. And along came that opportunity again to pick up half a tour with System of a Down uh, that gave me the chance to see if with my big mouth saying, yeah, I want to go out on the road again, blah, blah. That was a good test case. Going on the tour with, a uh, with, with, uh, with a, a majority American crew, uh, with a, with a, with a good rock band doing festivals and doing arena shows gives you a, pretty good impression if that's you know if that would be the life that you want to live if you would decide so
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i liked it so uh it that took another year to uh it, it wasn't on off though because it's it's not that when you've been a, a a promo rep for nine years that everybody on the road's gonna hire you as a as a touring production manager all of a sudden but it gave me enough uh, convic- con- conviction that that was the way I wanted to go, that uh, I considered quitting Mojo, mm-hmm. which is a, a hard one, because it's a really, really, really good company to work for.
0: Yeah, let me just ask quickly, uh, how you said that uh, they offered the job of production manager, but actually during those years you are working as a promo rep in the company and just for people that are listening that doesn't know what a promo yeah. rep uh, does um, for a company, if you could just briefly explain a little bit of what the, what did the job consist of?
1: Yes, um, well as a promo, promo rep or a promoter rep, it's you're, you're representing the local promoter uh, on a gig, a band plays. So what happens is uh, a band got booked, say, in the O2 Arena in London or whatever, in the Ziggo Dome in Amsterdam, and uh, there, the, the local promoter is, is, the, is the, actually the party that books that band. There's all kinds of business constructions which we won't get into now, but the local promoter books the band. He, he rents the venue, he books the band, uh, the date is set, there's a budget, there's a ticket price, etc., etc. And then you need a guy or a, a, a girl, uh, you need a person that takes care of everything that needs to be done to make the show happen. That ranges from uh, drawing, uh, 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 making on-sale drawings for the ticketing department. That's where it pretty much starts, all the way down to uh, uh, making sure they have towels in the dressing rooms on the day of show. Uh, In some markets, there's there's more people. Uh, or there's uh, some of these jobs are separated in our markets or in the in the in, in the western european re- routine you get a promoter rep that takes care of all those things so uh the band sends the rider and you go uh, the promoter rep goes by the rider to uh to see what they all need uh what they're bringing what he needs to hire what he needs to take care of in terms of parking maybe Uh, How many trucks are they bringing, how many buses, where are they going to park, when are they going to show up, do we need to hire catering for them or not, do they bring their own catering and we just have to supply a kitchen, Um, down to uh, 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 establishing show times, etc., etc., and uh, making sure the show happens, that's what the promoter rep does. And sometimes some of that res- th- those responsibilities are beyond him. But a- again, in our market, promoter rep does have the decisive uh, uh, does have the desi- uh, decision making uh, responsibilities on the day or the days of the show himself.
0: And does the promo Rap uh, is always local, or does certain types of tour, big tours, carry on one single promo Rap?
2: With
1: them. Then, well, they may, if a band does say, for uh, Holland, of course, is very, very small market. So a band playing arena shows in Holland will not play uh, multiple venues because uh, it doesn't make sense to play a show in Amsterdam and then the next night a show in Rotterdam because they're only uh, 45 minutes apart. But uh, if, a ba- if that same band would go to the UK, they may play London. They may play Manchester. They may play some more gigs, and they may have the same promoter rep for all those gigs. Mm-hmm. So he would still be the guy between, because the promoter rep is is it, you can see him like some sort of middleman also between the band and the venue and some some uh, 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 supplier parties.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So he may be taking care of, of multiple gigs in multiple venues, mm-hmm. uh, but still in one country.
2: Yeah,
1: I haven't seen, I, I guess it happens, in, yeah, it does happen in Eastern Europe where you would have a promoter rep taking care of a gig in in Bulgaria and in uh, Macedonia and in Romania.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Simply because the, the way the market is structured. Mm-hmm and that market is so so big in uh, in uh, surface and so small in uh, amount of venues and amount of revenues that it, it takes one mm. promoter rep it's not it's not actually yeah it is it is true in a way because that that promoter rep taking care of those gigs will take care of uh, because it will be sent out by Live Nation Eastern Europe
2: mm-hmm. where
1: I in Holland would be sent out by Live Nation in Holland.
2: Right.
1: However, him coming from—it's uh, an actual example. It's—it's it's an actual true story. Him being based in Budapest, even if—if he—if he takes care of a gig in Sofia, he would still be depending on locals for all his rental. You know, mm-hmm. being from Budapest and having to rent uh, forklifts in Sofia, he would not do that himself. He would have a local. He would still have like a local local promo rep.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So back in two thousand seventeen, when yes. you did uh, the System of a Down tour, did you have to take time off from from Mojo, or how did that work out? Because it yes. was a separate job from 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 the one that you're doing uh, at Live Nation, right?
1: Yeah. Well, being a promoter app or a production manager on the road is is I I tend I I tend to say that it's the same kind of job, but you're on different sides of the rider. Uh, Either you're on the sending end or on the on the receiving end, but uh, of course there's a there's a bit more nuance to that. But it's it sums it up. Uh, I had to take time off. Uh, I was pretty open with my, I've always been pretty open with Mojo about my ambitions. That's also what the encourage courage. And uh, we've been looking at the time into if there would be ways to for me to combine combine different roles. Um, and but at least they were supportive in in me doing that. It was only like a four week or a three to four week stint with system, and they were uh, supportive in letting me letting me go those couple weeks. Right, it went out well. Also, there weren't you know it wasn't uh, interfering with any any jobs they really wanted me to pick up over the summer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't that much of a discussion. It was a, it was a bit of a financial discussion, but that's, that's another story. Um, but I had to, yeah, it was, it was, I wasn't going out as a Mojo person. I wasn't going out as an, as an independent guy at the time. Mm
0: -hmm. It's, it's quite difficult, isn't it? Because, um, I can only imagine working for, for such a big company. And like you said, a great, uh, great company and great working environment as mojo Live Nation Holland it, it going back to being an independent producer production manager independent mm-hmm. production manager uh, which is basically how how we start we always start uh, independently isn't it I mean there's no there's no way of applying for a two manager job on Bon Jovi or a 2 manager job on System of a Down, it's word of mouth is who you know and the people that you know. Yeah, okay. And I'll tell you, oh, this guy, you know. Um, so going from that safety net of mm-hmm. having that paycheck on monthly basis and, and working, like you said, for a great company to becoming uh, an independent production manager again, mm-hmm. um, how was that switch for you? Did, you? did you have like... A very good idea that you would eventually be getting jobs coming your way or was it just a leap of faith
1: well I was confident that I would get jobs and uh, the moment my moment of quitting mojo uh, was uh, well thought of because uh, I was literally uh, doing my last show for mojo on one day and getting on the plane to get on my first tour, which was the Within Temptation Fall Tour in 2018, uh, the next day, mm-hmm. that it was pretty much going overnight overnight from the from one into the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that 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 Within Temptation tour got me going, but obviously I still had the uh, uh, the notion that. If I wouldn't pick up a lot of work after that, that it would, it could also become difficult. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So, uh, well, the Within Temptation job happened. Uh, I did some stuff for uh, some stuff in Holland uh, in the, in the early fall of this year. And then um, I did another Within Temptation US tour in March. And then uh, Chuck Beckler, who was the site designated site co or main site co on Muse called me if I would be the other site co on Muse over the summer. So uh, I, I, that was the, the next big thing and that was pretty much the opportunity that I needed. Uh, and so I've been with Muse for 10 weeks over the summer.
0: That's amazing. And as yeah. a tour, as a stadium tour site coordinator, what mm-hmm. are uh, what are the main things that you are overseeing on that on this particular role?
1: Well, you're over, as the as the as the job description says, you're the site coordinator. There's a site coordinator in a lot of fields of profession, and uh, what what uh, connects them is that they. Make sure that the site where something is about to happen is prepared for that specific thing to happen. I mean, I know that, for instance, uh, 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 medics without frontiers they have site coordinators that that go ahead of the of the rescue or of a rescue team to make sure that uh, that they can actually land and they can bring in their containers and that they can build their emergency hospitals or whatever that may be a a stressful and a very short-term job in our in our world It's a bit it's a bit easier. You you know how much time you have and what we do is we prepare the site and that's um, That means we build the basic stage structure For the production to come in with sound lights video whatever crap they want to put in there uh, to to go up so we build the basic stage structure it may be uh it may be a roofed stage it may be just a tower construction
2: <coughs>
1: and uh besides that we make sure that the dressing room situation is sorted whether it be if if it's a greenfield something with containers or if it's in a stadium that there's some sort of a a designation to the rooms made if there may be some plumbing involved there's always uh, a power involved which which need to be run from one, one side to the other or be prepared that the power that's touring with production can be run in the proper ways so it's 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 so in a way it's some sort of housekeeping and then the technical part is building that stage structure
0: and who are you liaising with at the time? Are you dealing with the production manager? And is the production manager the first person who, who comes in and checks if all of those things in regards of the site are in accordance with riders and, and whatever else they might have sent prior to, to the specific show?
1: Yeah, well, the site coordinator is supposed to know what the production needs, uh, uh, needs to find when they arrive. And indeed, the production manager is the first person on site that checks on those things. Mm-hmm. So the uh, a rider for a stadium tour is basically a, a two tier uh, uh, rocket, so to speak. It's the it's the checklist from the sideco which which con- consists all stuff that uh, the site needs to adhere to, down to uh, crane calls, cranes specification for cranes, forklifts, uh, and other plans, golf carts for people to move around uh, when it's ready. And then the second part is the rider, is the, the, the production rider, which consists of uh, um, uh, uh, labor calls, uh, runner calls, uh, maybe some specifics around dressing rooms and stuff like that. Some of that stuff is being covered by the Sideco already. Uh, uh, some of that is, is separate from both because it's the catering rider which is being sent out by the caterer, which essentially is part of production. So, uh, um, yeah, the, 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 the Sideco does the basic stuff and then the production comes in and fills in the, uh, the, or connects the dots to make sure the production happens.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: mean, as a Sideco, for example, something you never have to deal with is something like showtimes.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Or I don't deal with crowd management or, or with barricade or whatever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes on some tours, you, on some tours you would, because it's local barricade, and you would, you know, you would oversee that it's there. But but apart from that, it's the tour se- itself that deals with the fact that, or deals with where the barricade actually going to go. Mm-hmm. So and as a side code, it's, it's limited, mm-hmm. but it's it's limited very. Uh, yeah, it's very clear. What you did you or not?
0: Were you doing side co- uh, uh side coordination uh, on those uh, last few dates that you did with Metallica in Europe as well? Was it? Was it? Was it? Was that what you were doing with them?
1: No, uh, on Metallica, I was only I was pre I was supporting the local promoter, so I was working for the local promoter. They brought me in as uh, as a head of production. Uh, I was it was more of a mentoring position advising uh making sure uh stuff would actually happening which had to do with the facts it it was basically uh, based on ex based on experience and knowledge uh, uh, picking up um uh that job and and just and uh, yeah advising the local uh, production manager and the local promo reps on what they would need to do to make that show happen
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This, uh, what, what would you point out as the main differences between tour management and production management
1: um, the tour manager takes care of the band and the production manager takes care of the production so the, the tour manager does all stuff <coughs> that's band related which may be uh, which may involve flights, transportation, buses, uh, all uh, all kinds of stuff around the band, uh, timings, uh, promo stuff, whereas the production manager, he makes sure that the band can come in and actually perform on the stage as they like to do every night. Mm-hmm. So as a production manager, on... Uh, I wouldn't say you don't have to deal with the band at all, because, for instance, with it and with with within Temptation, I deal with the band a lot. There's very short, there's shor- very short lines, but then again, within Temptation is is not a very, it's not a huge band. It's not small, but it's 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 not it's not Muse or it's not Bon Jovi or whatever. Whereas, as a as a production manager for a band like that, you deal with the band uh, much less. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may deal with them because you're part of the show or you have a role in their show and you may show them on or off stage but but real personal contact with the band on that level as a production manager may be very uh maybe very little but it it's it, it pretty much it uh, it's also it's different from from one band and one one situation to the other. Mm-hmm. But but the main thing is that the the tour manager doesn't deal with the trucks. The production manager doesn't deal with um, interviews,
2: mm-hmm.
1: although in some situations he may. But in general, he doesn't. The production manager makes sure the trucks show up on time, and uh, he makes sure that there's local crew hired uh, because that's what he ordered from the uh, from the local promoter. And uh, he makes sure that the set that the, the, the stage is built in time and that the show can happen at night. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, a, it's yeah. a
0: massive responsibility, isn't it on both sides but but somehow I tend to I think I tend to see that the production uh, manager he is actually he's got so much on his plate, doesn't he? <coughs> Even yeah. more, even more so than yeah. than well, the tour uh, manager. Sometimes, in many ways.
1: Yeah, there is there is there's definitely an overlap, and um, on the other hand, there's a lot of stuff that's... with with for instance with within temptation. There's uh, the, the the tour manager and I. We have we have we have a pretty pretty smooth working relationship. And there's a lot of the, the stuff he takes care of I don't and there's a lot of stuff that he doesn't have to bother about that he doesn't even you know he wouldn't even think of of uh, of thinking about actually but but with that with 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 that it's uh, he makes sure we get the set lists. So he talks to the band and makes sure we get the set lists in time. That's something I don't you know I don't take care of. He does the stage drinks, for instance. Although I've been in situations where the production manager, or uh, sometimes even the backliners, make take care of the stage drinks. And uh, he's the, uh, i mean—he's the guy that, at the end of the show, uh, is waiting at the side of the stage with the towels. Because I, as a production manager, the thing I'm going to take care of once. The band gets off stage. Is that actually the, the gear gets off stage also?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's the whole. That's the whole point. The, at the end of the night, the tour manager takes the band off stage, and the production manager takes uh, the production off stage. Right. Although, again, in some situations, the production manager brings the band down, and uh, the tour manager isn't involved at all because there may be one or two security guys that takes the band down. Mm-hmm. But for instance, with Muse, you would always see at the end of the night George Reese, the production manager. He would be part of the party that that walks the band out from off stage. But it would actually be the security guys and the tour manager that that would put them in the cars and make them make them move out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then George, George would would uh, be just you know he would go back and make sure that the production would load out.
0: And on this particular case, on Muse, um, or even uh, within Temptation, does the tour manager uh, leaves leaves site with the band, or he just packs the band in the cars, make sure they're on their way to the hotel or wherever they're headed towards, and stay on site, or or does he go along with them?
1: Normally, he would leave with the band mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because he's. Oh, so he may he may stay on site if the band is really you know uh, if there's. If there's more levels to it, if you go if you go higher up, if you go to the level of of uh, uh, of the real real big bands, then they may have some uh, some more management, there may be a f- travel party, family involved. Mm-hmm. There, the, the tour manager may or he may not travel with the band. If he if he stays on site, there's there's quite often there's not a lot of work for him to do anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So mostly on on on. Uh, uh, from what I've seen, as with, I mean, with a band like Muse, or even with with Temptation, the tour manager is with the band. Mm-hmm. However, uh, as an example, with Within Temptation, yesterday we were on the festival in Switzerland, and Sharon, the singer, she had, she had a, a ton of promo to do during the day. It was like three, four hours of work. And then we need a search, uh, as uh, an extra person, like a media person or a manager person to take care of her because he, uh, the tour manager, cannot be with her and not be with the rest of the band or uh, with some of the uh, show proceedings on site. So there it's, you know, it can get a bit more complex than that. Um, There he wasn't with the lead singer, but he was still with the band and he was still, you know, he would still be available for, for her and making sure that all her transportation to and from the hotel and from wherever she did this promo is being arranged, because that's the stuff that he arranges. Right. He's just not with her at that point. hi
0: mm-hmm. um, starting to slowly uh, wrap mm-hmm. up our conversation here, I want to be mindful yeah. of your time. Um, do you have or follow any morning routines or rituals or, or try to, even when out on the road traveling?
1: out on the road it's, I've been struggling with that because um, I know I need it and I know it would help me in a lot of ways but uh, it's hard to pick up if the main focus you would have in, uh, in a certain period is just getting enough sleep so my main uh, um, it. It, when I travel on a bus, it's pretty much uh, uh, setting my own pace. so I, I'll wake up, I get up. I usually shower in the morning, whereas a lot of my crew showers at night before getting on the bus, I show getting, I shower I try shower in the morning when I get off the bus. Uh, and then I slowly, I usually slowly move into working mode. As much as, as I would like to go and run, I haven't been in a situation where I would, where I had time for that. I would, I I will go on the run on the day off though. But, but other than that, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot, there's not a lot more I've been doing so far.
0: But do you eat breakfast? Do you drink coffee?
1: Uh, I start with coffee. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, especially being out on the road. Uh, My first cup cup, cup, cup of coffee is a Kickstarter. Uh, I I eat breakfast, I eat little breakfast, and then I just move into the day.
0: Do you have a particular diet that you follow? Is that like certain types of food that you don't eat or certain types of food that you eat regularly or try at least to to maintain regularly on your diet? Uh,
1: Well, uh, this year, this June, I uh, started uh, being a vegetarian and um, so you
0: cut meat completely no fish uh, no beef no pork no chicken it,
1: well it's it i'm taking steps right uh so we were already i mean our our home diet and which I also maintained on the road was eating uh, as little meat uh, well as little meat as possible is, is effectively being vegetarian but up to uh up to me Deciding to be a vegetarian, we would eat meat three, two, three days a week. Already, I haven't been eating pork for many years, apart from whatever I couldn't avoid. But um, uh, yeah, I finally decided to become a vegetarian. Uh, up to up to that point, I w- I've always been cautious to eat enough. Uh, well, especially vegetables. I'm a bit of a cheater also, you know, I like the sweet stuff, so I would, especially uh, being on tour and having a bowl of sweets or chocolate or whatever, uh, it'd be always, it's always, for me it's always hard to resist, although well, I'm getting better at it. But um,
0: If you don't mind but, yeah. me asking, what was the main, did, did you have uh, a specific reason why you decided to go into a vegetarian diet?
1: Um, I'm just convinced I can be healthier with it. It will make uh, f- uh, uh, it's 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 also it's it's multiple reasons. The reason why I decided to to finally uh, cut meat altogether was um, uh, because I didn't I couldn't see the advantages of eating meat at all anymore. Um, the disturbing part has always been animal w- w- welfare for me, the way in the Western world we treat animals and, and we think of them as a consumption product more than as a living uh, uh, being. Um, finally, uh, hit me hard, so to speak. And then, uh, I mean, then there's also, which was at the moment I decided it wasn't, re- wasn't even the main reason, but the whole environmental thing only strengthened me in the idea that I, you know, that I, that I don't want to eat meat anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally with you. I, I, I switched as well myself a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I've been dabbling with uh, veganism and vegetarianism, you know, being a vegetarian for a while. Uh, meat was always a big part of my life. Um, yep. I grew up, like, eating meat probably seven days a week for many, many years.
1: Yeah, you're from Brazil, right?
0: Exactly, from the south, you know, where yeah. the Brazilian barbecues originated from. <laughs> so yeah. barbecue is a big part of our culture down there. Yeah. So yeah. for me to step away from it was quite... I mean, moving to England, I diminished my beef, my red meat consumption drastically, drastically. But mm-hmm. always, you know, you go out to eat a burger and, and cooking chicken at home and, and things yeah. like that. But yeah. a couple of years ago... Um, after watching this documentary on Netflix called What the Health, uh, it just kind of like opened up my eyes to so many things and then obviously I started to seek more information about it, just not to make a judgment or a life-changing decision based on a documentary, you know. Mm-hmm. And with, yeah. with you know, with the information that we have nowadays available, the more I uh, I was reading about it, the more I was seeing and, and hearing and then discussing with people, it became so obvious to me that uh, yeah. number one, yeah. it's not sustainable the way that we consume uh, animal produce, but exactly. but but it's uh, and it's destroying the planet. It's a, it's the number one cause, arguably the number one cause of uh, of uh, climate change. You know of the rising temperatures on the planet for many many reasons, of which we're not going to get into it now. But uh, it is the number one, and the the fact that. Uh, but that's one side of the story, but then the other side of the story as well is we evolved as uh Homo sapiens and as human beings consuming meat because uh, we had to hunt to feed our families, we had to, we were hunter gatherers, and that uh, it's just part of nature. But however, nowadays it it became uh, such a commodity, you know, we can order. Like you just mentioned, like barbecues, we can order barbecues on the on our mobile phones nowadays. Oh but yeah,
1: that, yeah, and, you know? and yeah, and, and the quality of the um, the quality of the of the meat or uh, of the of the product—it's not just meat, of course—that that you buy in or that you're offered to buy in supermarkets, etc., is is pretty bad also, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, yeah, I th- I I think with with meat it's worse than. With some of the ground st- or with a lot of the grown stuff, which you may have more uh, side on where it comes from, where it, what its origin is. Um, funnily enough, when we when when our children grew up, one of the things we learned, we always learned them. We had this this little mantra, which was, McDonald's is no food. <laughs> because obviously they were being kids and being in school and being tempted and etc. They would, you know, every now and then we said Can we go to McDonald's? We, we would. I mean, I think we took them to McDonald's once or twice a year, mm-hmm. tops. Ever, you know, coming back from holiday, we would, you know, we, we maybe swing by McDonald's. And it, I mean, it, for me, it, it was always a disappointment every time <laughs> I had McDonald's. It was disappointing. Uh, I think the only thing that worked was kind of satisfactory for McDonald's for me were the milkshakes. <laughs> but other than that, it's uh, so McDonald's was no food, and and I think, I mean, my kids they they by themselves I think they they've been to McDonald's more often, but but still they <laughs> we 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 kind of grew that awareness. And that's always been my awareness too. And um,
0: it's really funny because that's exactly the same approach that my parents had uh, <laughs> with me. They would probably take me to McDonald's like, I mean, a handful of times on the course of a year, you know. <laughs> and yeah. and yeah. that's and that, and that was a great lesson, even though they never. They never judged or they never said anything, and I think they only just took me a, a few times because the nearest McDonald's from my hometown at the time. Nowadays we have more than one, but yep. like uh, twenty years ago, it was um, it was just not there. So it was kind of a track to go, you know, a bit of a day family trip to go to a McDonald's. But yep. uh, but it was a good thing, you know, because definitely McDonald's is definitely not um, it's definitely. I would I wouldn't put that into the Uh, food category, you know, and unfortunately there's a lot of people in the world that can only afford that kind of food, you know, and don't have the information about it as well, they don't know that they're consuming a lot of preservatives, they're consuming a lot of uh, um, highly processed uh, stuff that it's it's something that, number one, our organism struggle to understand because there's so many chemicals and things that are just not natural. Um, but then just just to, yeah. just to wrap up the part of um, of, of meat consumption uh i've've I've been i've been basically through moments where I was like 100 uh, uh, percent a vegan and then this this during the last two years but ultimately you know i, I after going deep into this, this subject and being very interested um I understood and i am i don't particularly believe in radicalism but I believe in in, in coherence and being, you know, uh, um, understanding w- what's happening and, and mm-hmm. what are you doing and how are you doing. So, basically, nowadays, I mean, my diet is like at home, I basically just eat like um, it's 80% vegan, and maybe I'm gonna have uh, eggs, you know, every now yeah. and then, yeah. and uh, maybe sometime I'll buy, you know, some fish. I'll have them yeah. at home. Yeah. But mostly, you know, like my breakfast is completely vegan. Uh, mm-hmm. dinner normally is completely vegan. Uh, if I'm out, you know, I'm not I'm not like I'm not paranoid. Say for example, somebody invites me to to dinner in their house and mm-hmm. they don't know if I have any diet requirements and they cooked something that contains meat for 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 for, for instance. Yeah. I'm not I'm not the kind of guy that will say, oh, I'm sorry, I, I don't touch that. No, I don't eat no. that. Because at the end of the day, I I, I I always say this to people because to me it makes absolute sense. Some people uh, will criticize and say that's uh, hypocrisy. Some people do understand. Most people do understand. But my view of things uh, are basically like this. If I go to the supermarket, if I'm inviting you to my house for dinner, mm-hmm. if I'm going to a restaurant myself where I am in charge of my order, when I am in charge of where I'm putting my money, mm-hmm. I try to, at the very least... 80% of the time to make what I believe uh, to be the right decision, the, the decision yeah, that contributes to course. the planet. But if I'm coming to your house or if there's, uh, for instance, I don't know, uh, a hamburger leftover on catering and I'm really hungry and that's going yeah. in the bin, I mean, wh- wh- what would I do? I'm not going to touch, I did not contribute, it's already there. Me eating that particular food at that particular time, not going to change anything in regards of the planet or in regards of animal welfare. You know? That's
1: true and especially, well, you touched that point of it would end up in the bin. It's, it's, it's some sort of uh, it's, well, it's a form of what you would call micro-sustainability because you're eating what's there
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and you're not putting something or you're not putting something away to to eat something that's not there But that would have to be uh, prepared and that's 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 another uh that's another thing that i uh, well i i i totally agree on that and and as, as you, i i think we're we're pretty similar there i don't you know i'm not uh i'm not preaching people not not to eat meat and i do eat meat occasionally i mean i was i was in romania for two weeks and i can tell you being a vegetarian in romania is virtually impossible, <laughs> and so I, you know, I dealt with whatever, uh, whatever was possible, and uh, just try to stay healthy, and that's, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty much how I roll. And I haven't figured out the fish part yet, not really. But I'm, I, because I'm not, you know, it's not a switch from one day to another. I, I decided, okay, becoming a vegetarian, looking into this vegan menus because I see a lot of interesting things and I, you know, I'm, I get inspired by uh, by looking at, at uh, preparing food in a different way and I hope that I can keep that up. Do you uh, cook at uh,
0: home? And, hmm? Do you cook at home, Hire?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not enough, but I, you know, the the next couple months I will be home more, and I will be do more my fair share of cooking.
0: And and one quick question, just um, just jumped into my mind now again. You mentioned that uh, back in the day, on your teens, you used to drink a lot. Do you still yeah. drink alcohol, or do you, how what's your relation to to alcohol nowadays?
1: Uh, well, my relationship uh, with alcohol has always been a bit. Uh, strange although it, it would never look like that but I've always been aware that it's it's there there's a there's a danger lingering in the in the in the background although ever since uh, you know I had I had the I had a serious alcohol problem when I was around 18 or 19 right after you know pretty much right after my father died and uh, I recovered from that and um, I think all through a larger period of my life I've been drinking uh, maybe a, a more alcohol than would be really good for you uh, it's become it, it has gotten less and less and actually the, the uh, when I started uh, running again or when I started doing sports again that brought down the alcohol consum- consumption considerably so Right now, it's at a level where it's uh, um, it's 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 okay. I, I it's the same. Uh, or I've been considering stopping drinking altogether. Uh, I haven't gotten to that point yet, and I don't really see the point why I would get there. Apart from the fact that it would be just healthy. On the other hand, the amount of alcohol I drink right now is 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 pretty. Uh, you know, it's pretty normal. I would say it's not. It's not harmful. What's and your favorite like
0: tipple? Do you like what? what do you, when you want to have a drink? What would you like drinking?
1: Well, it depends on the situation. I like a good beer. I like nice craft beer. Mm-hmm. I I like to uh, to taste what uh, what. Uh, it's the same as with maybe the same as with food. I like to taste what people make that put love into what they do. Mm -hmm. so if you you know if you have if you find and that's something that I came across or I come across uh, when touring a bit you get to a place and there's a microbrewery or whatever and they make really nice beer well I like to taste it and uh, I maybe like to talk about it also same with wine uh, beer wine I'm not I'm not really a beer or a wine guy there's not a lot of hard liquor, although I do like some booze every now and then. It's not, not very, not very often.
0: Nice. R- Hi, my friend. I have just uh, a few roller coaster questions with yes. short uh, answers um, to finally come to the end of our podcast. So mm-hmm. um, the first one would be: What do you do to unwind? What's the perfect lazy day on your books?
1: I unwind pretty drastically by just doing nothing. (laughs) I can be at this point. uh, For for several reasons, we we decided not to go on holiday, even though we would have a little time for it. Uh, But I really enjoy just being at home and uh, basically. read a bit of newspaper, I have my breakfast, I have my coffee, I can sit down, I, I, sit, I sit down or, or rather lie down on my lounge set in the garden and just, uh, you know, I I may even sleep some during the day and uh, just hang, Good. Walk, in, walk into town, get another coffee, walk back home mm-hmm. and that's it, just nice. do some reading. And at the same time, uh, you know, think about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's the drastic unwinding part.
0: Cool. What are the su- some of the subjects you enjoy exploring outside of the ones we've already talked?
1: Well, that's uh, the coming in in the unwinding part, but it's not really in, it's not really in there. It's it's different again. Uh, from running, there was uh, out of the running. There was a development also, because I'm not only a runner; I'm also a running trainer. Uh, so I do I do train a group of long distance runners uh, once or twice a week, and that has become uh, that has become a very inspirational and very nice uh, uh, thing to do next to work.
0: Mm-hmm that's an yep. interesting one I had no idea about that
1: no that's a new I, I when you know when when we came up with the, or when you proposed to do a podcast with me I I thought about that that would have to be a subject but it's you know it only comes up now um, uh, being a runner trainer <clears throat> um, give, me, give me a gives me an opportunity to learn again in fields where I haven't been it gives me the opportunity to, to think about how you would uh, how you would work how how to uh, handle different processes, but also you know there's a psychological side to it because not only do I train a group, but I also support individual runners with their with their individual goals. Um, and and it's I mean apart from that, it's it's just being uh, being a trainer. Uh, not only you know it's 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 pretty it's not stressful but it's tiring every now uh, every since, but it it's it it gives a lot of energy too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: hi my friend that's excellent thank you so very much for your time this conversation was thank really you. good i i have a feeling we could definitely carry on especially now that we tapped into uh your running uh, your coaching career in, in, in Oh yeah, running. we can
1: do another one. <laughs> we can
0: definitely do another one. Perhaps the next one we can do it yes. um, um, in person and with mm-hmm. a, cra- a good craft beer in hand. How about yes. that? Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I thought about, I actually thought about uh, uh, about about coming to London some sometime just to, you know.
0: Well, let me know. It, if, you, if you, To hang. Yeah, if, the theater, Absolutely. To running
1: together. Definitely.
0: Absolutely. If you come um, to London, let me know in advance when you're planning to come, and we—I mm-hmm. can definitely take you for some nice runs here, and and we can most certainly indulge in several different great craft beer bars because we have plenty that, of that here.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it's let's so see. Good. Let's see if I can, you know, there, it, it, uh, if I can um, pick some dates for that uh, sometime soon. Perfect. I'll th- think about it.
0: Amazing, hi. Thank you so very much, yes. and uh, I'll speak to you soon, my friend
1: thank you Carl have a good one and I'll talk to you soon
0: I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation this podcast as much as I did doing it so if that's the case please do follow on Instagram at rollercoaster Carl myself at Carl Casagrande on Twitter same thing Facebook same thing Uh, do subscribe Do subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify. That's very, very much appreciated. Thank you
2: and have a great, great day. Cheers. Bye-bye.